We're Why live. are you laughing? We're live. We did it. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Audiobooks All Day. I'm Kevin. And, and I'm the Jeff. other guy is Jeff. And yeah, no, we're he's doing Jeff. It. Yep. Um, we're finally back on the horse. The proverbial horse, not an actual horse. That'd be expensive. But, um, you know, started this thing back in 2018 and took a few detours um, from the podcast. Um, you know, a YouTube detour, you know, a brief flash into TikTok. And, you know, here we are now back at back at our, our roots, the proverbial roots. Um, everything's proverbial right now. And we're really excited to be here talking about the thing that we love to talk about more than anything. Audiobooks. It feels good to be back. It feels good to be back. It does. Oh, so I was telling you in the pre-show, and one of the re so I was listening to Chamber of Secrets this morning, and mm -hmm. I I don't know why, but I think that there's just so much stress happening in my day that I like couldn't handle Dobby at the Dursleys. <laughs> like I couldn't handle it, so I sped it up to like three point five, and I'm like, we're getting through it. You know, I'm over it. Um. Then we got through it, and then I, I kept it at that speed for a while, and then I finally slowed it down to, like, 2.6, I think. Um, but, yeah, it was good. Oh, man, so crazy. I realized something today. that So I finished the first one, which is why I started on the second one. Generally how I, it goes. I didn't realize that they took the boats back. So they took the boats in, and then they took the boats yeah. back. Didn't know that. That totally escaped me. I, I literally just read through the entire series just like last month. But that's the nice and thing totally, is you get totally a new spaced. thing every time. I don't know how many times I've listened to it, but it never occurred to me that they went back on the boats. I thought that was very cool. You know, that is actually really cool. And, you know, I'm actually – I was actually thinking this when I was reading the seventh for the last time. I wish they would have done something with the boats. You know, like the knights came out in the suits of armor and were protecting the school. The boats should have done something like somebody tried to come across the lake, and the the giant. Well, and I was just thinking, like you know, with the lake, with the lake there, it would have just been so interesting. I mean, they did the whole you know second task and everything like that was really cool. It would have just been neat to have yeah. more, more water things. There just really wasn't anything water. Although uh, there's a video game. I don't play video games, but there is a video game uh, where you are a student at Hogwarts and you have to find the secrets that Merlin left around the castle. And one of those secrets is underneath uh, the lake. And I always thought like that was really interesting. I thought that'd be kind of like a cool thing. I just think that like there was a lot with Hogwarts um, that, you know, like the, it's just so much. And uh, the new game just came out, uh, Hogwarts Legacy. And I was watching yeah. just a couple of videos. Um, I don't game at all but i love stories and so i was kind of clicking through some of the videos oh man kevin you've got to go watch i'll send you one after the podcast but it is so cool it is so cool i love how they kicked off the story i love how they kicked off the story just uh, this won't be a surprise to anybody that starts the game but the person starts off in the fifth year so they're accepted to hogwarts so. as a fifth year student and uh, it's cool because like from a story perspective it's nice because you can kind of hop right in and you can learn a bunch of spells a lot quicker than if you were a first year um right but oh really cool not audiobooks related 
Um, but Harry, another Harry right. Potter thing related though, they canceled the rest of the Fantastic Beast movies. Really? Yeah. So when they did a big huh. reorganization of Warner Brothers, which they're, um, they're uh, they came out with their losses report, which I don't know how. There, I mean, it's like February twenty fourth. I don't know why their losses report were here, but they lost. They reportedly lost two point four billion between Warner Brothers and HBO Max. Together, lost two point four billion, or maybe it was last year. I I don't know, but there was some sort of filing that was done today, and so I think as a part of the reorganization and restructuring that they're trying to do. So I think that they're looking at other storylines. They may even reboot the other series a little bit earlier. Um, but uh, I actually. Yeah, I actually didn't see this most recent one, which means I'm part of the problem. So, yeah. Um, and to be honest, I just really the first one I thought was cool because it was all about the beast, you know, and it was cool and the fantastic ones um as a matter of fact. And then it just I don't know, like the story was somewhat interesting, but it didn't yeah. it didn't really capture me. I I feel like the the supplemental Harry Potter media that's come out um, has not been, you know, it, it's tough because you do measure it against, you know, the Harry Potter books, but it simply has not, not been the same. It's not lived up to the, to the hype. And I, I think that's, that that's tough because, you know, I'm just not as in, interested. I'll just reread the, the seven again, you know, like I did, um, instead of watching the movie. In fact, um, so you mentioned the video game. Um, I actually, you know, I don't own a gaming system. The most advanced thing I have is I still have a Game Boy, a Game Boy Color, um, and I actually have a Game Boy Advance too. So yeah, I was um, gonna I'm say you still have the Advance. And uh, I do and, too. Um, Somewhere. I was thinking like I might buy a PS5, and then I realized that you know inflation has hit the gaming industry over the last twenty years. <laughs> and, uh, things are a lot more expensive than they used to be. Um, and you know, I was also a kid when most of those things were purchased. So, you know, the concept of money and how much things were, how much are they acute? I don't know. A PS five, I think it was like 500 bucks. I don't remember exactly, but it was expensive. And, or I think, um, somebody was telling me that I could buy an older system and wait for it to come out. Cause it's only on the newer ones right now. Um, you know, clearly, clearly we're not gamers. <laughs> um, and it's not from lack of interest, but just, you know, that's not something we've we've got into yet. You know, who knows? Time will tell. I mean, this Harry Potter game, like, I, I my hand was reaching to my wallet because that looked dope. Um, yeah, that, that looks cool. super fun. And it is very cool. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, a little bit of how, you know, Kevin and I were thinking about the podcast because I think that what – was most fun was talking it was just talking about the books that we're listening to uh obviously right. harry potter is always like an underlying constant um right. but a few you of always the have a harry that, potter book somewhere in progression yep which is so good and uh just a little bit of history that's how we got into audiobooks was uh good old jim dale's uh recordings that kevin and i would we would fall asleep to we had a bunk bed and everything uh, when we were kids and so, anyway, like that's I feel just like such a core part of our audiobooks journey that it's just kind of that underlying foundation. Uh, but we, what we wanted to do with this is that we wanted to just come on and just talk about the books that we're listening to right now. And uh, I think that like the long term vision though is that we really want to bring on guests. Like, I mean, 
you know, the dream is to bring on amazing audiobook readers like Jim Dale, and we're going to talk about some other great audiobook readers today, um, and, and authors and people that have uh, stories to tell. But uh, a lot of it's just going to be, you know, Kevin and I breaking things down, and, you know, we'd love your feedback on, on the show and, and what could be better, and uh, maybe stop talking about gaming on an audiobook channel. Uh, but other than that, I, I think that uh, it's really interesting because the first time, this is the first time that we've ever talked books where I haven't listened to the books that Kevin is going to talk about. And uh, I think in my case, he has listened to one and he hasn't listened to the other. So this will be a little bit more interesting. Uh, so Kevin, you, you put The Secret Diary of Henrik Groen. Groen. Yeah, at least Talk that's to me about how that it's, they say it. So, um, I first encountered this book um, several years ago where I found it at uh, a Barnes & Noble. And I saw the book, and it was on the shelf. Um, it came out in 2013, or you know, thereabouts, 2013, 2014. It's, I, the book is about um, life in 2013. <coughs> but I found it on the shelf. And uh, I'm actually not 100% sure when it came out. But I found, anyway, I found it on the shelf. That's the important part of the story. And I just thought it looked funny. It's called The Secret Diary of Henry Groen. And it just has a, a picture of him. It just says old-looking man. And on it, it says 83 and one-fourth years old. <clears throat> and I thought, that looks like a book I want to read. Fast forward like three years. And I actually grabbed it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to check this book out. It looks fun. And. It's definitely in the vein of a man called Uwe. Um, you know, I was kind of wondering when you dude. were explaining it. Yeah. Like, like right. have you ever and also read the book, like The Man Who Lived to Be 100? Yeah, yeah. Or The 100 Year Old Man That Climbed the Out the Window. Man that Climbed Out the Window. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think very much in line with the title. Right. Uh, it's better than that one. Um, but there's actually a few things that are kind of interesting. So Man Called Uwe, right, he's like 54. You know, he's really not that old. Um, Henry Groen is 83 and one-fourth, and he's very old, um, constantly referring to himself as a geriatric, and he lives in um, lives in an old folks' home in the Netherlands. And, uh, and it kind of starts um, – one, one thing that is super interesting about this book is that it is completely in diary format. Mm. Like, there it's like is he's writing no, it. <clears throat> he's writing it in his mm. personal diary. And his entire exposition is, I'm a man who's trying to make everybody happy my whole life. And I'm very unhappy. You know, he's, he's had a lot of tragedy in his life. And he's living in an old folks home. It's not the greatest conditions. He wasn't wealthy. And he just decides, in my diary, I'm going to start saying my feelings. What do I actually feel? What are the things I wish I could say out loud? And you start to see the progression of as he starts to confide in his diary, as he starts to say how he really feels, that he starts to actually change his behavior a little bit. He becomes a little bit more social. He doesn't whine as much. He just tries to, to live life. And he and a couple of the other people in the home they actually form this old but not dead club and uh, that's what it's called old but not dead and they their whole goal is to go on outings and these are these are all older people in a home and they're all on the state pension and 
Um, the book's based in the Netherlands um, in 2013, as I mentioned, and they're just going out, getting in crazy adventures, and like they know, leave the old folks home. Yeah, occasionally they'll they like one when like on one of their outings, you know, nothing crazy. Like they they went to the zoo, you know, or they went did a cooking class, you know, just things. They're they're trying to regain a sense of self, and that was actually the thing that really has altered my perspective of this, <clears throat> of or something that has. I like a book that challenges how I think about things. Not necessarily that I'm thinking about things wrong, um, which I, I do I do welcome and I like to listen to those books to challenge my way of thinking, but also if it gives me a perspective I just never considered. You know, I, it's hard for me to put myself in the perspective of, you know, somebody in their mid-80s who really is losing everything. And they talk a lot about how in your first 20 years of life, Every day you're becoming more independent, um, whether it's socially, economically, um, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and how in the twilight of your life, every day you became, you become less independent. And the struggle of getting older, it's not just the physical pain, but going to the store and realizing that you don't remember your grocery list as well as you used to or having friends that have strokes and die and outliving the people that you love and just getting to a point where you're just unhappy and you have a lot of really good reasons to be unhappy and yet trying to find some happiness in a life where you have very little control. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, on one hand, Hendrick is funny and he's witty and he's silly, but on the other hand, he's introspective and nostalgic and, <clears throat> and going through a lot of pain. It, 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 it's a very, you know, I, I recently read a couple books where I read the first two of a series and I just felt like everybody was flat. All the characters were flat. The main character was flat. The world was flat. Everything was flat. It wasn't depth. And that's the thing. That's the beauty about this book. That's what brought me in so much is that, Hendrik, you feel the complete spectrum of emotion. And you feel like you actually get to know him. It's actually, it's a very, and because he's really writing in his diary, it's, it's, it's a very intimate feeling. It, it really is, is something special. So, like, would you recommend this book to others? I would definitely recommend this book to, to anyone. Um, I think I think it's yeah, it really important. has a lot of man Calduve vibes. Obviously, different, you know, from a different perspective. Right. Yeah, I feel like the first book that really kind of did that for me was the Tuesdays with Maury. Um, I feel like you know when you you know you just start contemplating, you know, death and and progression. Um, right. And it, it, you know, in fact, actually, Tuesdays with Maury is is uh, while you know. 
Hendrick doesn't have anything terminal. Um, right, he's just an old like folks home. Yeah, the last couple pages, so maybe you know there's a, something happening, but there's two other books, so I'm guessing not. Um, but you know, it, it is it is very introspective, and it's funny because you you don't really. You know, it, it's not a traditional story in the sense that there is, you know, an insight to action, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution. You know, there's not that standard um, outline of a story because it's just some dude writing, you know, and he, uh, you know, it's in 2013, he's writing about current events. You know, he writes about the Tour de France. That happened that year. He writes about the bombing at the Boston Marathon. You know, he he writes about um, Barack Obama as president. Like, he, he writes about all those things. I mean, he's in the Netherlands, so he doesn't have a lot to say. But a lot of other things that he mentions that are probably more relevant to people who live in the Netherlands and that are going completely over my head because I'm not super sure what was happening in culture in the Netherlands in 2013. But, you know, it's just a guy living life. And it's just funny because it just doesn't sound that captivating, but it, it but but it really is. And uh, so Hendrik Groen is is a pseudonym for Peter de de Smet. You know, I am not really sure how to say his last name, so I apologize to Peter. Um, and uh, he said this about the book. You know, because the book for a long time nobody had any idea who wrote it, and because there's so much of like the real world in it somebody some people were wondering if it was a real real book like was this his actual diary and he said there's not a sentence that's a lie but not every word is true i'm saying about the book so you know i i feel like and you know peter is an is an older man you know who is uh you know more in that stage of life so it feels like it is something that is you know it seems that is kind of autobiographical. And anyway, it's, it's just a fun, you know, it, I, I've been getting kind of heavy, you know, there's a lot, lot going on, but it is also, it's funny, um, and witty and it's, it's, it's a really good book and I would totally recommend, um, any, anybody pick it up and read it. Um, but Jeff, why don't, why don't you tell me about more what you're reading right now? Yeah, so I thought that I would start with one of the books that you have uh, read. We both have. Uh, it's actually book one of the Helldiver series uh, by Nicholas nice. Smith. And, um, you know, I chose this one mainly because I love I love the book. I thought the book was fantastic. But I feel what also really drew me in was not just the book, but R.C. Bray. Uh, for those of you who listen to R.C. Bray often – I mean, he is so incredible, and I feel like he helped bring this book to life. Like, specifically, like, Captain Everhard, like, the main character. I felt that guy so much come alive in this book. And I never really listen to post-apocalyptic stuff. It's just, like, I, I very rarely listen to novels in general. Um, but I did like I did like Helldivers um, a lot, mainly because, actually, like... So the biggest scene that caught me was when they first discover the sirens, which is like the, the main creature villain. Um, because that scene is so chilling. So it like starts off pretty dramatic, you know, where you kind of learn what it entails to be a hell diver to come down a little bit of 
backstory, this book takes place 250 years after the events of World War III, which has left the, you know, the planet a nuclear total wasteland. And two ships survived. Um, and some of my favorite parts is kind of the tension on these two ships. Um, so there's the upper deck and the lower deckers. And the lower deck people work on the ship. The upper deck people provide kind of all the rest of the value uh, that goes to kind of creating uh, a culture. Uh, but the lower deck people, they're subject to a lot of radiation and uh, wind up dying young. Anyway, there's a lot of tension there, as you learn throughout the book. Um, but the Helldiver's role is to go down to Earth and get things that the ship needs. And uh, that's a very traumatic process. And, you know, you run through a lot of, uh, of Helldivers. And, uh, right, because the world's still radioactive and covered in radiation and radioactive clouds. Like, they're in, the, they're in a flying ship because you can't be on Earth. Because you, you just can't be there. You know, it's right. too dangerous and way too radioactive. And all the while, you know, these ships are slowly decaying. And that just creates a really, really difficult situation. And so you kind of go throughout the book following this kind of small cast of characters, both hell divers and people that are uh, aboard the ships. And, and I just enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun book. Um, although I haven't dove into the subsequent books. Mainly because the way that this one ends, and I'm not going to go into the exact ending, but the way that it ends was almost so satisfying to me that I didn't want to listen to another one. And I know that sounds crazy, but I felt like I could almost predict what would happen in book two or book three. And I've never even read the summaries for them. And, and, I, and I mean, totally go and do it. Totally go and do it. Read them all, you know, if you want. And I'm sure that for those of you that have read it, you're like, Jeff, you're crazy. You should totally go and do it. Uh, Kevin, I know, has read them all. But it was such a satisfying ending that to me it was over. Um, you know, like there are just some series where I'm just like, oh man, I can't wait for the next book. Defines the fall. Please give me the next book. Um, but this one, like the book and the world was so satisfying and the way that it ended was so, well, first of all, surprising. I did not anticipate a few of those things at the very end, uh, specifically around the main character. Uh, and the way that it got left off, I don't know, it was so interesting to me that i never picked up another one so i don't know am i crazy uh you are crazy on one account and not crazy on the other and you're not crazy in thinking it was a great book and a satisfying ending i think it was a great ending um some people did not feel that way um but i guess it was it, it felt like a very strong completion and i will say that you know so i've read all the books and i, I don't remember which one but it, like eight there was a it, there was another like ending where you're like oh the series is done and then like a year and a half later another one comes out and i didn't even know another one was coming out mm. um you know where where it was another like oh this this story is done and then there was more of the story to be told you are crazy for not continuing because it's a great series. Um, it, it continues to develop and it really, you know, adds a lot of elements. And you know, it. Here's the thing: if 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 the first book were a standalone novella, it'd be awesome. It's it'd be a great book. But they do flesh out a lot of things. Like it's so much is left unresolved in the first book. Yeah, and it, which it's, I it's which I agree fun. with. I agree with. I, I, but the thing that was so beautiful is like the very last paragraph of that book. It right. was so good. Like that last paragraph, 
Like my my favorite ending of any movie of any time, place, where whatever is uh is at the very end of Castaway. And uh Tom Hanks' character is sitting on his car at a four way stop, just looking kinda of which way. And like I love it because it really sparks in me like this, oh my gosh, whatever way he goes down, his life is gonna be totally different. He cannot choose a direction and go down at any, you know, sort of amount without it completely altering his life. And that to me was just so crazy. And I kind of felt a little bit about that, but in a different way, as far as like, I felt it more and mm. as far as an ending goes rather than a beginning. Um, but like, it sparked a lot of like visual for me. And so that was almost, I almost felt like I'd be disappointed by continuing, but I'll probably give it a go. But that, that was, that was one of the ones that I wanted to highlight. Um, I thought the RC Brace performance was really good. And I think kind of by nature, I'm going to probably highlight a lot more that he winds up doing just because they're really good. And we will have you on the show one day. Good, sir. Um, um, but yeah, that, that, that's it. That's that. it for Helldivers. Uh, do you want to tell me about this other one? That was a really long title. Yeah. So um, I, I will just say that RC Bray is he's one of the best and he has the awards and <laughs> You know the cachet. Not, I'm actually not 100 sure what cachet is, but I'm pretty he sure has he has it. it. Yeah, he's got it in spades. And I really don't actually know what that expression. I mean, I know what it's supposed to mean. I don't know why it means that, but but he has cachet in spades, and I feel okay saying that. Um, I feel like that makes sense. And um, yeah. Anyway, uh, but <clears throat> another book that I wanted to mention. You know, books I've been reading. Right, so um, I made a huge mistake about, was it in 2019, maybe? I mean, it was, I think it was the beginning of 2020. <coughs> no, the end of 2019. I made a huge mistake. And I don't remember the exact date, but it was a couple years ago. And I bought the first two books of the chaos seed series or the land as it is formerly known as and i bought those Wait, two and that, that was in, your first in, that was your first rpg yeah that was the first one that was i i dive right in right in and <laughs> i i'd known what the lit rpg genre was you know it's grown so much in the last couple of years like incredibly like it is so much bigger than it was, even at that time. And I'm not I I'm not some hipster that found it before everyone else did. You know, a lot of people had read those books, and I, I was kind of holding out. I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm gonna like it, but it was uh, it was on sale. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. And I got the first two books, and I read them, and and that was, um, depending on your perspective, one of the biggest mistakes of my life because I have read over a hundred lit RPGs since then. And I have no intention of slowing down. And for any any of our listeners, or uh, maybe listener, um, but any, any of our friends out there who aren't familiar with uh, what a lit RPG is, um, essentially, this is how I, I've, I've described it to people and how I described it to Jeff. And he immediately said, that's stupid. I don't want to listen to that. And he was wrong. Um, he was wrong. And has yeah, he was definitely wrong, and he has since confessed of his sins. Um, but bottom line is that it's it's kind of taking elements of a game and adding them 
into a book. So for example, um, if you were to play World of Warcraft or a lot of other MMORPGs, essentially a game where uh, you know, you're in a world and you're existing, you're going to have stats, strength, endurance, charisma, and those stats are going to impact how you interact with the world. And you might get quests, and there are a lot of elements. Sometimes there's dungeon. There's a lot of different game elements, but the, the core of it is that you are a person, and there is some type of you know magic system, and there is a way for you to measure where you are in that progression. Now, I've always been... I love fantasy and science fiction, but anytime somebody introduces a magic system, I, I, I always am a little bit wary because too often we see constant mistakes of somebody um, growing in, in, a, in a magic system where there's not really well-defined rules and they're just growing and it feels incongruent like, oh, I'm so much better than I was and there's no weird way to measure it and the story doesn't really get into it. They're like, oh, they're just better, you know? You know, like it's it's kind of like the difference between the fourth, the fifth, and six and six um, Star Wars movies, except you know there were several years in between that for Luke, where he was learning and growing, and or a, a year between the fifth and sixth, but several years between the fourth and fifth. Um, you know, he was learning and growing and becoming a Jedi, and but what is just cool about these little RPGs, you can actually measure the progression. You know, it's not completely binary that somebody with higher strength is going to beat somebody else. There's always a lot of different rules and a lot of different things, a lot of complications. But it helps you see the progression and feel it, and I love it. And um, one of the series that I've got into recently um, is The Good Guys by Eric Ugland, um, narrated by Neil Helligers, who I have weirdly – I've run into a ton of stuff that he's narrated lately – so I feel like me and Neil are friends, even though we've never met. And I'm actually not even sure what he looks like. But I feel like he also feels like I'm a friend. Um, I think that makes a sense close, to me. A close friend. A, clo- a close personal friend. Like, I'm not invited to Christmas, but it wouldn't be weird if I showed up. I love that mug. That is a dope mug. I knew you would. Um, that's so great. But anyway, <laughs> the books I read from The Good Guys, I've actually read all of them uh, up to... Uh, the most recent one that's come out, Flex in the City, which I actually got today um, to read because I wanted to finish it. But I reread the first two, which is One More Last Time and Air Today, Pawn Tomorrow. And all of the titles are puns of some type. They're all bad jokes. And like the la- the most recent one, number 12, is Flex in the City. Um, and it, they, it, they sound super dumb. Um but essentially, imagine this. You have this guy, and he is a bad dude. Well, he's not really a bad dude. He's a bad dude who has done – he's an okay dude who has found himself in a lot of bad situations in life, and he's made a lot of bad decisions. But he's always tried to be a good person. And once he gets his life kind of back on the straight and narrow, everything that he loves is taken from him. So he's sitting in his office. He's bleeding out. And death is literally on his doorstep. People who are, are about to kill him are coming in. And the very last person, the very last friend he has, the last person in the entire world who can still consider him a friend, reaches out with an opportunity for him to save his life. And that turns into an opportunity where he is transported to this world of Bolderani, 
and there's a lot of different stuff, but it's, he's transported from Earth to this world, and in this world, there are stats, and there is a lot of fighting, and there are quests, and there is a very snarky system, and there are gods who are fallible, and it's got everything that you want in a lit RPG. There are there are dungeons, you know, it's it's fun, it's funny. I, I actually laugh in this. <clears throat> I judge if a book is funny. If I actually laugh out loud, the book is funny, and this, this series has made me laugh out loud several times. Um, and it's just, it's just a fun one. You know, it, it's not, <clears throat> if you're looking for a really deep philosophical book or even a book where all of the characters are super fleshed out and good and deep, this is not your series. You know, it's, it's not, it's not bad. And I wouldn't say the characters are flat, but it is, it, they're short books and there's only so much fleshing out that they do because there's a lot of characters and, over the series, the main character gets fleshed out a lot, uh, but it takes some time. And, you know, each book is, you know, like eight, nine hours, which I consider a very short book. You know, I, I, I don't feel like a book is about the right size till it's about 20 hours. Then, then it's like, okay, now this book has a decent heft to it, but this, you know, they're just short books, but, you know, which is when you have them, you can blast right through them and they're a lot of fun but yeah they're just there i would i would recommend the series and there's actually a congruent congruent uh novel or series called the bad guys which is also very good in fact it's actually it's actually it might be better but it's really good it's a few books behind but it's about two people from earth who have come to this world and living separate lives and they're they're building up to when they're going to intertwine uh, but it but it's a great series. It's a lot of fun. So with the the rating system, how how in line would it be in terms of like let's just say the land? If I was comparing the two, uh, which I just finished the land by the way, fantastic! Can't wait for book two. Yeah, it's a great one. If he just get off get off his butt and write the ninth, you know, it's it's been some time since the eighth, but you don't have to worry about that. You got. You got uh, seven more books before you can start complaining like the rest of us. Um, so it's, I would say it's more rudimentary. Um, would it be more like he who fights yeah. with monsters? No. So, okay, there's stats. So, you know, everything is quantified. Strength, um, constitution, you know, all the charisma, Normal. luck. All those things are quantified. And every level, it's level-based. And at every level you get... Uh, you get a certain amount of points and you attribute those points now. And it's not like a lot of others where you get amplifiers. There are some types of amplifiers, but it's much more rudimentary, but it's not like, Oh, you achieve something. You get 5% to this stat that doesn't really exist. Um, it's a little bit more straightforward, which in some ways actually kind of levels the playing field because things are not quite as complicated, but also I would say the stats also aren't as important. Um, I mean, they're they're really important, but you know, in uh, different ones. We've is it the read, accomplishments of quests? Is that how? What's yeah, more important? Yeah, the accomplishments of quests. Or just but level. I, I would say that everybody. It's just level, but everybody's still very mortal. That's one thing that I really like. Um, you know, nobody's coming back from a head cut off, or a stab to the heart. If you can get right. to their heart, it's it's all over. It's, you know, 
I know he fights with monsters. It's a super different system, so I'm not trying to knock it. Um, but, you know, once you get to silver rank, unless you're pretty right. much your head is exploded, you, you're going to come back. Um, and this is not that way. Everybody's very mortal. And that's actually kind of like, you know, one of the things that nobody lives, you know, as long because everybody is fallible. Uh, but it's just um, – and then every five levels, this is one thing that's different. Um, there is a class system, but every five levels, you reselect a class system. You get a certain number of options. And, and you, you select. select. Yeah, you, you can pick. Uh, does the class come the with list. just status or does it come with actual skill sets? Because that would be really confusing. Um, it's, all a, it's all about modes of progression. Um, so you can get skill bumps. So if you were like, I think, you know, I don't remember exactly, but if you're a berserker you're, um, or something, you know, you might get an increase to melee combat, but like a decrease to de defense. But then if uh, I go so there, and then my like next that. stage, I'm not Berserker, those stats would just recorrect. Exactly. It, it reverts to a base. Mm -hmm. But another thing that's very interesting is that it, it, it very much impacts how you progress. So, for example, there are a few titles or a few classes where um, your experience is based on – your ability to gain experience is based off of um, – what you do so if you were a very combat heavy class you might only get combat you might get bonuses to being in combat and experience but you would get uh like you get knocked for getting experience from other things like you can get experience from anything and that's that's one thing that's super fun about this system this system is really snarky and has an attitude and it's very yeah not uh, every rp lit rpg has a system no no not not everyone does you know, and and that, when I say system, I just mean some type of all seeing or all seeing entity that somehow communicates or interfaces with the individual. Um, so I'm using it kind of loosely, and in some the system is like a character, you know, like in a dungeon crawler Carl, you know, the system is an actual AI, um, but in, in other ones they're like a real entity, you know, like in Defiance of the Fall. And in others, it's just how the world is, like in He Who Fights with Monsters. And this is the – the system feels a little bit more like an entity, but it's – nobody really knows anything about it. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it, it's – honestly, it's it's a fun one. It is – it's not a hard read. You know, it's easy to listen to. Neil is a really good narrator, and he keeps a really mm -hmm. good cadence, so you can speed it up without any problems. Um, again, if you're looking for something super deep, you know – um try the secret diary of Hendrik Groen. Um but it it's it's a good one and I would highly recommend it especially if you're getting into lit RPGs it's definitely one that's worthwhile. I'd read read the good guys and the bad guys. So um yeah, I just I was waiting to buy, get the third or the, the 13th uh, flex in the city or maybe it's the 12th. I think it's the 13th. So I reread the first two and it was it was a lot of fun. Um but Jeff um, what's the, what's the other book you're reading? You mentioned earlier that you had a book that, that I haven't read and I'd love to learn about a new one. Yeah, just, yeah. So pretty much the last thing that I had wanted to mention was I listened to the audacity to win by David Pluff. Um, so I was always really interested in how like political campaigns worked from watching, um, the, TV series, and I can't believe I'm just 
going to blank on it. The West Wing. West Wing? Yes, West, West Wing. Wing. So good. Um, but it, it showed me a lot about, like, the intricacies of campaigns. Because even just, like, knowing the different titles that typically will exist in a campaign, you start to learn about the different functions. And that's kind of where the West Wing helped educate me a little bit. But uh, David Pluff actually wound up running uh, the candidate Obama's campaign for his uh, presidential campaign in 2008. So kind of the backstory is that, you know, Barack Obama is serving as a state senator um, and is running for a United States Senate seat in 2004. Um, when John Kerry, who's the, uh, the nominee for the Democratic uh, Party, invites or his team invite Barack Obama to come and speak. He's an up-and-coming star. He comes and he gives a speech called The Audacity of Hope, which, regardless of how you feel, is, I mean, at least as far as I'm concerned, is one of the most fantastic political speeches. Regardless of how you feel how Barack Obama's presidency or governing actually went, the speech is fantastic. And that really propelled him to national prominence and led him uh, to get introduced to David Axelrod and David Pluff. Um, and they were just so amazing when it came to becoming when it, when it came to being a political operative. Um, I think that a lot of the ways that presidential politics are going, I think that they're, that it's going to change quite a lot, especially with the Democratic Party moving around caucuses. Um, so, like for example, it's really really important that Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina these early primaries when a candidate is running, how they do will determine a lot of the momentum uh, that they have going forward. And so, you know, what, what essentially happened is that when John Kerry lost um, President Obama, well, then candidate Obama and Senator Obama started to run and put everything into Iowa. So they had this crazy strategy to um, uh, essentially win Iowa. And he wound up beating Hillary Clinton, who was like the established candidate, the big gorilla in the room, and uh, wound up beating her in Iowa, which was just crazy, and then went on to New Hampshire. And it just kind of essentially talks about the entire campaign and all of the many details and what it's like to, to run that kind of show. And it was crazy. My favorite part of the book is actually kind of the author trying to figure out his role as being a campaign manager and then a father and how difficult that is. Like they really want to have another baby and like the tension around that. And then also like, you know, having Barack Obama's grandma pass away and, you know, there's like, you know, life still goes on, but the campaign is a campaign. And so how do you not only strategize as a very big underdog to win the democratic primary against Hillary Clinton, which is insane. Um, and then go on to become president, but also the, all the individual actors and their own personal lives and putting them on hold or trying to incorporate them. I mean, I thought that it was a really crazy story, you know, cool story. And like the fact that David Axel, or sorry, that, um, that David Fluff actually decided not to be active in the White House after the campaign, I think really showed what kind of a toll that took on him as a campaign manager. Um, but I think that just from like a business perspective and from a way that like, uh, you know, our political system works, I feel like it's a very valuable book because knowing how these races are run gives you as a voter, or at least gives me as a voter, a little bit of an understanding of how these candidates are trying to reach me. 
and about how I could probably better engage uh, with them. And so I, I, I feel like it taught me a lot. I would really recommend it. To be honest, if you're coming in at it from not a real understanding of the time or politics or anything, you will probably need to listen to this book twice. I did. I had to listen to this book twice before I, before I really felt like I was understanding it all. Um, because there, there's a whole host of characters and, you know, a lot of people who would kind of go on to be pretty important in the, in the Obama White House. But, you know, really, I mean, even though that it sounds so tedious and difficult, it kind of sounds fun to work on a campaign. I've never worked on a campaign except for the one city council race that I ran. Um, but like, it just, it was, it just seems, you know, really cool, especially when you really can consolidate around a message, like whether or not you believe in that message that, you know, Barack Obama was sharing it. it I think that like the process is cool. And um, anyway, I thought that it was really fantastic, a great piece of history that I think a lot of people should read regardless of where you're at in politics. I think that it's pretty important. Um, so certainly would recommend it. You know, that's actually really interesting because I read A Promised Land, you know, Barack Obama's book that came out last year, I think. Um, and I remember being really impressed by, uh, you know, or made an impression on me the, the the chapters that are about him actually running his campaign, you know, of which yeah, which uh, is crazy because there's so few such little content, but then you know it's been blown up now into this whole book, you know, because like in his book it's so small, right. but in reality it was so big, and then it kind of makes you realize like holy cow, at each stage all of this could be an individual book, you know, which right. I thought was really interesting. And I just thought it was so interesting because there, he brought up so many intricacies I just never really thought about, um, you know, because running a campaign is, you know, it's a lot more than just going around and giving speeches and kissing babies. You know, what speeches well, you are those fund it. babies? Or, yeah, and, and you then you got to fund, fund it. it. You, you got to find venues. You got to coordinate security and you know and all of that stuff. And you know, you have to have a whole team of doing it. And then people actually have to show up. And then you got to communicate on the back end. You know, it's crazy because it's like running a huge startup that needs to raise a billion dollars and employ thousands of people, but then it has a maturity right. date and it ends, you know, like that's not the goal of your typical organization. You know, the, the goal of an organization right. is to return money for shareholders and it can't return money for shareholders if it doesn't exist. And so then when the shareholders, you know, in this example start to become the American people, it's just a total different way of looking at it. Um, and so anyway, from my perspective, I thought that was really interesting. Right. And then you know, when you are funding, you know, what, you know, who you have to talk to, what, what are, you know, and it's, it's funny to see, I'm, I'm sure you probably learn in the book, his, probably his political philosophy has to mature a lot. You know, when you get put under that much scrutiny and that much pressure, I mean, you're, you're forced to, you know, probably come down on a line that you'd, maybe don't even care about or maybe that is just it wasn't important or now that you have a more holistic perspective you know now you have to you've changed your mind because you know new information or because of a donor or you know it's just interesting to think I don't know does does it get into that at all and just kind of yeah I mean I think that like especially when you when you move from campaigning to governing. I think that that's where a lot of the things start to hit the road and where you start to change a lot. I think in most cases, people, you know, as you have to start to nail down specific policy issues, I think is really difficult for most candidates. I do think that at least as far as the book 
writes and records. That's not an issue for uh, President Obama. He tends to err on the side of policy, which I think is a big strength of his, but also you can tell is a humongous distraction for, so like for example, he wanted to put forth his uh, healthcare plan way early. And his team was like, you don't need to come out with it right now. And he's like, but I feel like I need to. And so I think that it was actually kind of the opposite where he had a lot of preconceived things that he wanted to put down mm. and was almost dissuaged from doing that because, you know, he, he needed to rely much more on the big picture and on the more kissing babies thing, you know? So it's just, it's just interesting. Different candidates, you know, campaign differently and govern differently, you know, kind of depending on things. And so I think at least from that perspective, I think that's an interesting question. But yeah, overall, overall, definitely one of the better political books I've read mainly because of the detail that it gives and you can really follow along with the story and you kind of feel it, you know, you kind of feel what it's like to be, in that campaign adventure. Now, I don't think that there's going to be campaigns for president like that anymore. I think that as the caucus system changes and as they start to rely more on these big super days or whatever, or even as they move forward and move back certain days, I know that Joe Biden's already moved around or is at least proposing to move around uh, the order um, because, you know, you have very like, uh, you know, they, they want to put forward the South Carolina primary further, which makes sense because that's what really helped Joe Biden. But I think, you know, it's a better reflection of America for at least the Democratic Party feels that way uh, than Iowa is. So anyway, it's just interesting how it's all going to change. Um, and I think in some ways it should change for the better. But I think that, you know, like that way of like, you can't read that book and go, oh, yeah, this is my blueprint to the presidency because it'll, it'll right. be different. That's really interesting. I'll have to keep that in mind for when I inevitably don't run for president yep um so but it is interesting and and you know what detail is underrated i love detail i love needless detail well, well especially needless, if you're but... if you're doing a book like that you know like if right. you're if you're anxiously speeding towards uh you know an unknown conclusion like when you're in a novel being bogged down by too much detail that doesn't support the overall ending i think can be frustrating but if you already know what happened, like we all know what happened, right? Barack Obama won, you know. Um, right. I think that you, so you want you to know why. That's want, why you're reading the book. Yeah, you want to know why. So you want all of the detail. You want all the names. You want everything. So yeah, I thought it was great. And uh, <laughs> I think in historical books, um, that's one of the biggest problems that you're highlighting. They need to know which story they're telling. I've read several history books where you get bogged down in in. When you start feeling, you know, I've noticed that when I start feeling like I'm getting bogged down in detail, what's happening is they're telling a lot of stories that's not the story that they're telling. You know, so they're they're getting off topic and they're not taking me to an end. You know, like in you said your book, um, it's not – the story isn't Barack Obama won the presidency. It's how did he, as the underdog, become president and not even win the presidency, but how did he win – the Democratic primary. Oh, and, yeah, which is a crazy story. I mean, you had, right. you know, a lot of political stars. I mean, you know, with, with primarily Hillary Clinton. I mean, it's just like she was, it was such a given and kind of that audacity to right. put his candidacy forward. Granted, you know, he had a moment and he capitalized on the moment and uh, right. good on him. You know, um, I'll have to take that one to listen, you know. That was terrible English. I'll have to listen to that book. 
it's, it sounds really interesting. And if it, you know, I love reading a book about something that I don't know very much about. Yeah. You know, I, and, I don't and have this one when you're starting out, what that's about. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a little tough to get like up to speed or at least I felt, I mean, it's it, like you, he writes well, but still like, if you don't have any context for anything about that time or who these people are, like it took, you know, like I said, it took me two times to really feel like yeah. I got it. But how long is it? Mm, 16. I don't, I, I don't actually, I don't know off the top of my head, but you know what? I have it right here. I can't so not crazy now. long. No. It is 19 hours. 19. All right, that's not too bad. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Nine. Uh, that actually zoomed in pretty decently. We did. Um, but anyway, man, that's a. Those are some interesting ones. That's one reason why I love talking about books with you, is because, you know, sometimes we're just going in completely different directions. Um, but yeah, well, that's no, the it, best part about listening, you know? That's the best part. That's, there's so many stories out there, you know, in so many different genres, you know, about so many different things, you know, whether it's, you know, Seabiscuit or political campaigns or, a semi-autobiographical, semi-fictional diary, or a lit RPG, or, you know, a post-apocalyptic, you know, story like that. There's just so many stories out there, and there's so many fun things to listen to, you know? It's just, it's just great. It's just amazing to have more things that you don't know, you know? There, there's always, there's always something else. There's always, some, there's always another great book right around the corner. And that's why we're going to keep coming back. Yeah, that's why we're going to keep coming back, keep talking about books. Um, you know, bring some people on, talk to them about books, and, you know, see how books help them and shape their lives and enrich us all. But, you know, Jeff, thanks for taking the time. Thanks to myself for also being here, I guess. Um, but, yeah, everybody, thanks for being here with audiobooks all day, and we'll catch you next time. See you.